On this Baptism of the Lord Sunday, we are going to visit a story in our second reading that is not the Baptism of the Lord. Instead, we are going to shift our attention to the early church as portrayed in the book of Acts. We pick up the story in Acts at a pivotal season in the early church where the focus of action and activity is shifting from Jerusalem to the surrounding areas. We meet just before these verses a man named Philip. This is Philip the evangelist who has been sent out into that surrounding region to preach and to teach to the Samaritan people. Now, for reasons that will become clear shortly, no one really expects much to come of this work. And yet, to everyone's surprise, Philip finds success. So let us listen now for a word from God as we hear these verses, 14 to 17, from Acts chapter 8. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. Now, when Peter and John arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John, they placed their hands on them. And those new believers received the Holy Spirit. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we come to the river of your living word, praying this day that you might visit us with your spirit. Indeed, O God, we pray that your spirit would come and dwell near us, that it would come and rest upon us, that through its work, the words in my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here in this space today would be glorifying and pleasing to you, for you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You know, there's no other story in the Bible quite like this one. It is a unique story, strange and confusing even, especially when we compare it to the other baptismal accounts in the New Testament, including on this baptism of the Lord Sunday, the baptism of the Lord. As the artwork on the cover of our bulletins today so vividly portrays, there was a lot going on at Jesus' baptism. And one of the things that was happening then was the work of the Spirit and the baptism in the water coming hand in hand. There's really no separation at Jesus' baptism between being dipped into the water and the Spirit descending like a dove. But here in these verses, this odd account from the middle of Acts, we find a different account of a Christian baptism, one that is almost a a two-step process, if you will. There's Philip out in Samaria, and he baptizes in the name of the Lord Jesus, we're told, but it's not until days, weeks, months, we don't really know later, after John and Peter arrive, that the Holy Spirit 
comes upon them. You see that difference? Jesus' baptism, everything seems to happen at once, but here in this account from the early church, one doesn't follow the other for some matter of time. Now, I'm not too interested today in doing a a deep dive into the different theologies of Christian baptism. Suffice it to say that there are many different understandings of how baptism works, both here in the book of Acts as well as in the Christian church itself, both past and present. Instead, I want us to focus on these four brief verses. And within them, I want us to focus specifically on the who and the how. In the hopes that by doing so, we might discover the what. The what it is this story has to say to all of us today. First, the who. There are two groups of people who are presented in these verses, the Jewish people and the Samaritan people. Now, you don't have to know too much about the Bible to know that the Samaritan and the Jewish people, they don't particularly hold one another in high esteem. The Samaritans and the Jews, they have been enemies for centuries by this point in the biblical narrative. They have different interpretations of the Jewish faith, and each views the other's interpretation as being abhorrent. The Samaritans look upon the Jewish people as being second-class citizens, and the Jewish people in turn look upon the Samaritans as being second-class citizens. Even within the Gospels, we have these different portrayals of the Samaritans through the lens of the Jewish writers, right? You have favorable portrayals in stories like the parable of the Good Samaritan, the Good Samaritan. We have the story of Jesus healing a Samaritan leper. We have the story of of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. But then you also have stories where Jesus instructs his disciples rather explicitly to not visit the Samaritan villages, to go around them. Taking all this into account perhaps explains why it was Philip then who was doing the preaching here in our text today. Now again, this is Philip the evangelist. This is not Philip the apostle. For those of you who are apostle experts, the apostles, they are still safely ensconced for the most part back in Jerusalem. Philip, we can only guess, must have drawn the short straw to get sent out to till soil in this less than desirable and maybe even less than safe territory of Samaria. To say that he was likely sent out with low expectations might be an understatement. But again, to everyone's shock, to everyone's shock, Philip's ministry is actually yielding fruit we find here. People are coming to the faith, these new believers, but not only that, but he is baptizing people in the faith. It is so shocking we learn that John and Peter, so John and Peter, think of your 12 apostles, John and Peter, if the apostles are the bigwigs, John and Peter are the bigwigs of the bigwigs. These are two of the apostles that were by Jesus' side at some of the most pivotal moments in his life and ministry. They were there on the Mount of Transfiguration. They were there in the upper room at the Last Supper. It is so shocking to the apostles what is happening in Samaria that John and Peter go out to see it for themselves. And this is where things really start to get strange. Because it's only after John and Peter arrive that these new believers receive the Holy Spirit. 
We're told that John and Peter, they lay their hands on them and the spirit is received. And here's, here's the thing. We don't understand the how. I can't tell you how it happens this way here, but only a chapter earlier, it happens entirely differently. In fact, the exact opposite at the baptism of Cornelius, the Roman centurion and his family. There, the spirit shows up first and then some time passes and then there's the baptism with water. Nor can I explain how in just a few verses after this reading, where Philip goes out and he baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch, suddenly the water and spirit are back on the same page because they're working in tandem there. We don't understand the how. You know, I read a bunch of commentaries wondering if people smarter than me maybe did understand the how this past week. And after reading enough of them, I found that they all said essentially the same two things. First, don't preach on this passage, they said. <laughs> and second, we have no idea either. Which after enough time, it occurred to me that maybe that's the point, right? We don't fully understand the how of this particular baptism or for that matter, the how of any particular baptism. But the good news is this, God does. God does understand the how of this baptism. And the good news here in this story is that God, God can baptize whoever, wherever, whenever, and however God chooses. I read this story in the Washington Post last month about a neighborhood in, in Baltimore County uh, outside D.C. It was a story about this one neighbor who texted his other neighbor one night and said, hey, look out the window. Now, this neighbor across the street who he texted had been hitting hard times. This all happened last November, November 2020, right after Thanksgiving. He knew that his neighbor across the street, she was struggling, not just on account of the pandemic. She had work challenges. She had lost a family member. She was dealing with anxiety and depression and had basically isolated herself in her house. And so this neighbor, he texted her one night completely out of the blue and he said, hey, look out your window. And she went and she looked out her window and what she saw was this single strand of lights stretching across the street attached to her doorpost. Her neighbor who texted her, he had been putting up his Christmas lights and he looked across the street there and he thought of her alone in her home and he took one strand of lights, walked it across the street, up her porch and attached it to the doorpost. The lights he was quoted as saying were meant to reinforce that she was always connected, that there was a neighbor who cared. I don't know, maybe that's the point, right? Maybe the point is that God's desire to connect to us, to include us in God's family, it knows no boundaries, right? That God will cross the street. God will cross centuries of hard feelings. God will cross borders and oceans and denominations. God will cross mistakes and doubt and sin and brokenness, neglect and hurt. On this weekend, perhaps we need to remember too, God will cross college football allegiances. 
God will cross it all to connect to us. You know, in that light, I go back and I read these four verses and suddenly it reads to me a little bit like God calling up the Samaritans and saying, hey, look out your window. And there they see this string of lights attached to their doorpost running off and possibly far into the distance, all the way to the horizon and beyond. You know, I think a lot of us spend time coming up with reasons for why God's grace is not for us. We say things like, well, if you only knew. We say things like, I'm not really church material. <coughs> say things like, it's beyond repair at this point. I really messed up. Again, we say these things to ourselves week in and week out, and then my eye is drawn to, to the font. Because it's at the font, every time we pour water and talk about forgiveness, it's at the font that, that we understand that what we're really saying there is that God's Spirit, it's still seeking you. God's Spirit is still seeking us. Right, Whatever chasm we think exists is just not wide enough for God not to cross it. Right, The font, we sometimes talk in the Presbyterian tradition about baptism as being a visible reminder of God's invisible grace. The font is this, this visible reminder. It's this place that is meant to, to make visible that strand of lights that God has already strung up between us and between God and the life and in the death and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The who of this story should amaze us. The how of this story should perplex us. But the what of this story should be crystal clear. Because what this story proclaims is that one way or another, the Spirit will find us, and then the Spirit will send us. Right, that the Spirit of God in our baptisms, just as in Jesus' baptism, will call us to this life where with our words, with our actions, with our, our very being, we are sent out into the world to seek out our neighbors and to tell them, hey, why don't you look out your window too? This is what it looked like this year in 2021 in that neighborhood. So this is hundreds of row houses in this neighborhood, and they estimated maybe 75% of them. I know the choir can't see this. I should have brought pictures for you. One strand was the first picture. A lot of strands is the second picture. One person looked out their window and told another, hey, I want you to know that you're connected. This year, hundreds of people called up their neighbor and said, hey, I want you to know that you're connected 
too. There's this great quote at the very end of the article where the first woman who, who her neighbor took that strand over and tied it up to her doorpost, the first woman is quoted as saying, that strand of lights, it made me look up literally and figuratively. It was light pushing back the darkness. Friends, the what should amaze us. The how should perplex us. The who should amaze us. The how should perplex us. But the what, the what is crystal clear. For it is in the what we find a God who pushes back darkness in our baptisms. A God who calls upon us to look out of that window and then sends us out into the world to tell others the same. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit,